0: So today we're going to continue our series "Jesus in the Storm." We're going to be in Psalm uh, two. If you got a Bible, or if you're on the online church platform, you can pull it up there, or uh, you know, use U version, something like that. But the title of the message today is "Who's Your King?" Now you may think that's kind of a strange-sounding title. We don't have a king in the United States. We get angry when politicians try to act like kings. Our country was birthed out of us escaping the rule of a king that our founders believed to be a tyrant. But it is still a very relevant question, and if you're not sure about that, I hope you'll understand why I'm saying that by the time that we're finished. But really, I believe that it's a relevant question because all of us, have someone or something or some things that are ruling over us. And really, to understand life correctly, we have to understand that. Uh, Paul put it this way in Romans 6.16. He said, Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether a sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? In other words, either sinful, worldly, fleshly things are going to rule over us, or Jesus and His righteousness is going to rule over us. P.T. Forsyth said this, he said, it is the first duty of every soul to find not your freedom, but your master. So I believe for us personally, there's this internal battle of control and, and for control and what's going to rule over us. I believe the same kind of thing is going on within the societies and nations and domains uh, of the world. Really, I believe this, this kind of battle is going on in the spiritual realm. In fact, one of the overarching themes of the Bible is kind of a tale of two kingdoms, a battle of two kingdoms. See, the Bible uh, teaches us that God is king, that He's ruler over all. But that he, there's a spiritual enemy, Satan, who's opposing him. And he, through the kingdoms of this world, is trying to build his own kingdom and bring down uh, the kingdom of God. Colossians 1:13 says that he, he, meaning God, has delivered us from the power of darkness, the kingdom of darkness, and has conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. There's a battle going on between these two kingdoms. Uh, Jesus, when he was tempted by Satan, as recorded in Matthew chapter 4. One of the temptations goes like this. It says again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, quoting from the book of Deuteronomy, away with you, Satan, for it is written, this is the quote, you shall worship the Lord your God and Him only shall you serve. So, Who are we going to serve? Who are we going to worship? What's going to be controlling our lives? Are we trying to build our own little empire? Are we living for the kingdom of God? What is ruling and reigning over our lives? You say, well, it's all well and good, but what does that really have to do with our lives right now? In the midst of this pandemic that we're in, You know, when we decided to do and talked about doing this Jesus in the Storm series, uh, we said it was to speak to our needs uh, right now in this season. Well, just ask you to work with me a little bit over the next half hour or so, because maybe it seems a little theoretical, but once again, I want you to see why this is such an important, relevant issue all the time in our lives, but particularly right now. This is foundational. What is in control of us, and how is that working for us? What are we building our lives on? Uh, Augustine, a well-known church leader, from a long time ago, put it this way. He said, that which man builds, man destroys. But the city of God, and really he was talking about the kingdom of God, is built by God and cannot be destroyed by man. Do you agree with that? If you agree with that, maybe say amen in the comments. Or or do you disagree with that? Do you think, and there's no God, God doesn't really have anything to do with our lives. You know, where's God right now with everything that's going on in in the world? And, you know, I've gotten that question some as as a pastor uh, during the course of the last couple of months with this pandemic and everything. Like, where's God in all this? What's, What's God doing? Is this God's judgment on us? Does, does this fit into Bible prophecy in, in some way? And I don't have a specific answer for that. I can't tell you exactly what God is, is doing in all of this. I wouldn't predu- presume uh, to do so. But I think the question we're addressing today, the passage of Scripture in Psalm 2 that we're going to be focusing on, addresses this in a general, in a general way. It's, it's always true. This, this, it always relates to our lives, but I think it relates to the situation that's going on right now. See, I believe generally God didn't cause this. He certainly allowed it to happen. He's using it for his purposes. There's been pandemics throughout uh, the, the history of humanity. This kind of thing is ultimately a product of the fall because we live in, in an in, in a world that's in a state of death and, and, and decay. And so this kind of thing is just, Part of our existence as human beings on on planet Earth. But at the same time, I believe that God is working in this to show us who the King really is. To show us that the the kingdoms that we build don't satisfy, don't last, are unstable, are are, are tenuous, can uh, be changed, can be taken away from us at any time. And I hope that we come out of looking at this scripture today with the conviction that only the kingdom of God will last, that God is ultimately in control, that He and He alone is the stable, solid foundation that we can build our lives on, that Jesus is King and we're to surrender to Him. So, who is your King? And I, and I hope you see why this is such an important question. What's ruling, what's leading, what's guiding your life? Well, let's look at what David wrote in the Word of God in, in Psalm chapter 2. And let, let's read it together and then I'll try to unpack it and, and just help us, help us to understand it, hopefully, and see how it applies to our lives. So Psalm 2, uh, we'll read the whole psalm now and then we'll kind of you know, look at it in more detail as we go through. David writes, Why do the nations rage... And the people plot a vain thing, an empty thing. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and His anointed, which is literally the Messiah, against God the Father and God the Son, Jesus Christ. And here's what the the nations, what the world is saying to God. Let us break their bonds and pieces and cast away their cords from us. And the word picture here would be an animal that had a a yoke or or something like that on it, was tethered in some kind of way, casting off that yoke, that tether, that restraint, so it could enjoy its what's freedom in its own mind to be able to do its own thing. And this is the story of human history ever since the Garden of Eden. God is ruling and reigning, and we've been trying to cast off those restraints, break those cords to enjoy our own freedoms, to live life our own way as our own God. And so this is the conflict between God and man, Uh, mankind throughout the ages. Uh, This is our spiritual story. This is why sin is is so serious because it's not just something we do or don't do at any given moment. It's an attitude of rebellion against our Creator. But then in verse 4, I want you to see God's response. It says, He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. And not a ha-ha, that was a funny kind of funny joke kind of laugh, but it says the Lord shall hold them in derision. A, a laugh of derision. A laugh of kind of like, you got to be kidding me kind of laugh. You really think you're more powerful than me? You really think you can cast off uh, these cords? You really think you can rule over me? You really think you can have it your own way and it work? Then it says... That he, God, shall speak to them in His wrath and distress them in His deep displeasure. But then verse 6, Yet I have set my King, the Messiah, the Anointed One, Jesus Christ, on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me. You are my Son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, be wise, O kings. This is, the, this is our response, the invitation, so to speak. The therefore means, okay, based on these truths, based on what I've said, this is what you need to do in response. Now therefore, be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry and you perish in the way. When His wrath is kindled but a little, blessed are all those who put their trust in Him. And so, this is what I think the main idea, the big idea of this psalm is. This is boiling these 12 verses down to two sentences that we'll try to unpack through the rest of the message. It's saying this, God rules while humanity rebels. Jesus is is a... Jesus is enthroned as King who both judges and saves so we can either continue in rebellion and be judged or surrender to Him and be saved. Let's, let's read that again. God rules while humanity rebels. Jesus is enthroned as King who both judges and saves so we can either rebel and be judged or surrender and be saved. Let's break this down and uh, look at it in, in, in some detail here. So, first of all, let's look at the idea that God rules. The, the idea is that, is that God, by virtue of being creator of all, rules over all. Verse 7 says that He rules by decree, by fiat, by the word of His mouth. God rules by decree, not by democracy. We don't get a vote in the decrees of God. I believe that God is sovereign over all even when the circumstances are difficult. Um, Do you believe this or do you believe that we're masters of our own fate? Do you believe that God is really in control? I know some people think that's crazy. To me, it's one of the most comforting thoughts that there is that no matter how crazy things seem in the world, that God is ultimately working everything out according to His plan. That no matter how confused I may be about what's going on in my own personal life sometimes, that God has me in His hand, that He has a plan for my life, that He's working all things together for good. Benjamin Franklin, one of our founding fathers, who really wasn't even a Christian, during the the Constitutional Convention on June 28, 1787, said this. He said, I have lived, sir, a long time. And the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth that God governs in the affairs of men. And if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice... Is it probable that an empire can rise without His aid? God rules in the affairs of men. Do we believe that God is in control? That God rules and reigns? Now once again, this is going to shape our lives. Because if we believe there is no God, or if He's uninvolved in human affairs, if affairs, we believe that we're the master of our own fate, then we're just kind of going to go do our own thing. But if we really believe that God rules, then we are to surrender to Him, to seek Him, to to read His Word and follow what it says. And then that becomes the guide for our lives. So once again, whatever we believe is in control is going to guide us. So that's why this is such a fundamental question. So David is asserting in this psalm that God rules, that man rebels, but that God's response to this rebellion is laughter. And so, um, what upsets us so much on the earth prompts laughter in heaven. I hope that helps us to relax just a little bit. Just relax and, um, you know, just not get so worked up over a lot of the things we get worked up over, realizing God's response to this. Like I said before, this isn't like a laughing at a joke. Uh, kind of thing. It, it, it's, it's, it's a laughter, of derision of like, you've got to be kidding me. Maybe it'd be kind of like, you know, if I walked up to LeBron James and said, hey, let's play one-on-one. I'm going to take you down. And he laughed at me. That's about what I would deserve because that would be such a ridiculous statement. Or if I walked up to Mike Tyson in his prime and said, I'm going to knock you out. Hopefully he would have just laughed at me and not killed me, but it would be a laughter of derision. You've got to be kidding me! You're not a threat to me. Or now, if I walked up to Conor McGregor and some or some other MMA star and said, "I'm going to take you down and choke you out," and he laughed at me, it'd be a laugh of derision, be like, "You're no threat to me." And so, when God laughs at that rebellion, He's like, "You're no threat to me. I'm still in control." I, I may be being patient with you right now, but you are still going to have to answer to me. So God rules. Number two, humanity rebels. And, and, and like I said, th- this is the story of humanity since the Garden of Eden and our sin. Notice how he describes it. Verse 1, the nations are raging. The people are plotting a, a vain thing. Uh, verse 2 um, the rulers of the earth are taking counsel together against the Lord and His anointed. And what they're trying to do, they're trying to you know, break His bonds from them. You know, cast away their cords. We're trying to live life our own way. Do our own thing. Make it work without God. You know, exalt and lift up humanity. Mark Sayers, and I'm going to show you a video clip of him in just a minute. He, call, he says it's like we're trying to build the kingdom without the king. It's like we're trying to you know, build our own life and make it good without the lordship of Jesus Christ. And I, I just wonder if in, in this season, if God is using this crisis to show us the folly of that. I, I, I want to read you a quote from Hulk Hogan on Instagram. Now, I've been preaching for a long time, and I don't think I've ever quoted Hulk Hogan I would have never anticipated quoting Hulk Hogan. Um, I don't know how many of you are wrestling fans. Maybe some of you want to be honest enough to admit it uh, in the comments. Maybe you wouldn't. Uh, I grew up watching wrestling. I was not a Hulk Hogan fan. I like the Southern stuff, not the the WWF stuff. Uh, I'll probably get roasted for admitting that, but it's true. But apparently... Hulk Hogan is a professing Christian, became a Christian when he was a teenager. Maybe he didn't live it out. Maybe he's come back to the Lord now. But, but he said this. He said, God has taken away everything we worship. God says, You want to worship athletes? I'll shut down the stadiums. And I'm not saying God's literally done this, but I'm saying maybe it's having this effect. I'm saying this is at least something for us to think about. You want to worship musicians? I'll shut down civic centers. You want to worship actors? I will shut down theaters. You want to worship money? I will shut down the economy and collapse the stock market. You don't want to go to church and worship me? I will make it where you can't go to church. He then quoted 2 Chronicles 7.14, a well-known passage of Scripture that says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and heal their land. And he finished up his post by writing this. He said, maybe we need to take this time of isolation from the distractions of the world and have a personal revival where we focus on the only thing in the world that really matters, Jesus. Like I said, I'm not saying all of that's literally true, but I think it's something for us to think about. I think God is wanting us to see that He rules in the affairs of men and that our rebellion is folly. He can... Destroy us. He talks about here his wrath and those kind of things at any moment, but he's gracious. He's giving us a chance to repent. Now, I want to show you a video clip now. And it's an interview between Kerry newhoff and Mark Sayers. And I think if you want to understand what's going on in the world now, uh, really even leading up to this from a Christian worldview perspective. I don't know that you can listen to anybody better than Mark Sayers. He does a, a podcast with a, another pastor by the name of John uh, Mark Comer called This Cultural Moment. But like I said, this is Kieran Newhoff interviewing him on, on his podcast. And he he's talking about the kind of the idea of secular salvation, this idea of the kingdom without the king of us trying to build a world that we want apart from God. And so, Uh, It's about a five-minute clip, but I hope you'll listen to him. Uh, I just kind of wanted you to hear him for yourself. Plus, he's Australian, so he'll be more enjoyable to listen to than me.
1: Favorite episode, and perhaps the favorite thing that I listened to in 2019 last year was the episode on this cultural moment where you unpacked secular salvation, the secular salvation schema. So John has done this, John Mark has done this on this uh, podcast a couple months ago. He tried to he said he was trying to channel you, paraphrase you. I would love for you to unpack that for us, give us the the five minute version of secular salvation, because I would I think it has disrupted that paradigm as well and would love to explore that with you.
2: Yeah. yeah. I mean, one of my theories is that when we speak about post-Christian culture, a lot of people initially spoke about it as oh, we've returned to this, you know, ground zero that right. the slate has been wiped clean and, you know, we're back in the first century, Um, and where no one's ever heard the story of Jesus. But really, post-Christian culture is advancing some of the elements of Christian culture, but minus the lordship of Jesus Christ. I say it's the kingdom without the king. And that plays out in multiple different ways. But one way I realize that it plays out is in particularly this individual life plan or trajectory, which we expect, um, which actually has contours of the Christian story over it, but it's actually secularized. So, uh, you know, if you think about the Christian story, the Christian gospel is that humans are fallen and uh, we've rebelled against God, uh, cast out of the garden, always wandering east of Eden. Um, And then, you know, we have Jesus who comes into the world, incarnates, dies on the cross. And when we bow to him and follow him, accept him into our lives, you know, he then offers us salvation. So there's this secularized version of that. And it sort of looks like there's some kind of brokenness. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's almost multiple versions of the secular story. But I'll just give you like, let's give you the most probably popular one. Uh, You know, here is um, this particular guy and he's grown up in a really tough circumstances and it's been really difficult. And but then he, despite everyone else in his community struggling, he looked and he saw something inside of him. And it was a self-belief. And there was a talent link to that. Maybe he's a musician. Maybe he's a basketball player. Maybe he's an incredible architect or a, an IT entrepreneur. And so cutting out the voices around him, he then commits to this discipline and he cherishes his, his thing. And he has these breaks because he believes in himself. And then eventually he is gloried as he reaches this point of achievement and gains fame And ascends to this position of sainthood and glorification as he's recognized for the incredible person that he really is gains the adulation of his peers and then he appears on oprah's couch and tells this story and all clap and and smile and cry as he's followed the secular salvation story Mm. um so there's this sense where there's a redemptive there was a book called the redemptive self which said that what you know the united states has done is taken this christian story but then it's applied it to lives, and there's a secular running of that, which yet yeah, mirrors the Christian story of redemption. So the fall is often obscurity. The fall, in this version, may be hiddenness. It may be brokenness. It may be addiction. It may be poverty. Um, but the salvation is not outside of ourselves. It's actually truly believing in who you are. Um, it's truly loving yourself, and it's gaining some sort of um. You know, often it's talent and achievement and then achieving that and then becoming almost a saint, a secular saint in your your field. Sainthood is celebrity when you're recognized by your peers. Um, there's another one I'll just quickly share as well, which is almost a another story where it's, it's almost subverts the Christian one, which is the person who grew up perhaps in a religious family, which was strict. And maybe they grew up in a, in a fundamentalist Christian or Hasidic Jewish or Islamic and and then they slowly stripped themselves of those things, which is like sin, and then they discovered who they really are and running away from those strictures of culture they then walked into this experience and they're able to taste all the fruit of the garden for themselves and now they live in this happiness and live in this earth, kingdom of god on heaven heaven that's come down to earth and they they travel and they experience everything that the world has to offer there's some versions of the secular salvation schema
1: and what is the reward in secular salvation where you've removed god you've got the kingdom but you've got no king what would uh, a typical reward be
2: i would say adulation or celebrity another one would be pleasure living a life which is continually pleasurable. I would say they're the two main ones. And the other
1: lifestyle entrepreneurship thing is an expression of that. Right. Um, And perhaps glory,
2: power and knowledge. Right.
1: And and I think, correct me, this may not have been you, but I'm pretty sure I heard you at one point say it's freedom as well. The freedom to do what you want, when you want, where you want, how you want. And one of the reasons I thought that was so salient now is what have we lost over the last 30 days? We've lost our freedom, we've lost autonomy, we've lost um, mobility, we've lost predictability. We've you know, not only seen net worth drop or income drop or unemployment rise, uh, but that whole idea that I am the master of my own fate seems to have been just snatched from us overnight.
0: So I hope that helps us to see that you really can't build the kingdom without the king. And that leads us to the third part of this psalm, which, te- which teaches us that Jesus is, in, is, is enthroned as king who judges and saves. Jesus is enthroned as king who judges and saves. Verse 6, the Lord says, I've set my king on my holy hill uh, of, of Zion. And then he says, I will declare the, the, the decree the Lord has said to me, this is David speaking, you are my son, today I have uh, begotten you. So in this we see Jesus is Messiah, he's king, he's son, uh, he, he's, he's the son of God. In, in, in the New Testament, like in Hebrews 1.5, uh, Psalm 2.7 2, 7 is, is quoted there. For, for to which of the angels do you ever say, you're my son? Today I've begotten you. And again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. This is speaking of Jesus as very God of very God of his unique relationship superior to the angels. Um, the, the one and only son of God. It's not speaking of his birth. The word begotten actually speaks of position that he is God, the Son in Acts thirteen thirty three it says God has fulfilled this uh, for us their children and that He has raised up Jesus also as it is also written in the second Psalm today you're uh, you're my, you my son today I have begotten uh, you and so here it's used to refer to the resurrection Jesus' position as the firstborn from the dead that uh, you know, God raised Him up and His resurrection guarantees our resurrection. This psalm tells us in, in verse 9 that Jesus judges that He's going to rule the earth with a, with a rod of iron. Well, we see this fulfilled in the New Testament in Revelation 19. Uh, 11 through 16 you know where jesus comes back riding on a on a white horse and uh, you know these verses are are referenced to how he's going to rule the nations with a rod of iron and jesus has the name written on him king of kings and and lord of lords that's who jesus is he's king of kings he's lord of lords he rules he reigns he, he judges um that passage talks about him expressing the fierceness of the winepress, of the wrath of, of, of Almighty God. But thankfully, he doesn't just judge, but he saves. You see, in a sense, you know, this is a royal psalm, it's a messianic psalm, but it's a missionary psalm. Uh, he says in verse 8, Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession." see we should be praying for that to be fulfilled that is the missionary impetus of uh, the, the church you know the fulfilling of the great commission of make, making disciples of all the nations that's ultimately expressed in, in revelation chapter 7 from when people from every tribe and tongue and nation and throne are around the throne of god worshiping jesus the lamb of god as king of kings and and Lord of Lords, Jesus is enthroned as King, and that's expressed both in Him judging, it's expressed also in Him saving. So once again, either you're going to rebel against Him and be judged, or you're going to surrender to Him and be saved. In the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 4, we see the apostles quoting this psalm and applying it to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's read a few verses from there. Acts 4.23 They were being uh, persecuted, Uh, That's the context. That's what the first phrase here, being let go, refers to. It says, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they had heard that, what was their response? They raised their voice to God with one accord. In other words, they prayed together in unity. And as they prayed, here's what they said. Lord, your God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. And then they quote from the second psalm who say, "...who by the mouth of your servant David have said..." So that's speaking of the the inspiration of Scripture. The Holy Spirit speaking through the man David. Why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His Christ. And then notice the next verse. This is how they apply it. It says, "...for truly against your holy servant Jesus..." So they're inserting him in, him in there saying, this is who this is about, Jesus is the Messiah, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. So both the, the Jewish rulers, the people, uh, you know, the Roman rulers, were uh, coming together against the Messiah. But ultimately, God was even sovereign over that. God was even control in control of that. God was accomplishing His purpose. It was His hand behind the whole thing because everything that's going on, God is working out His purposes. There's nothing that happens that God doesn't cause or allow to happen because He's ruling over all and He's taking even our sin and our folly and He's working it together into His plan and using it for good. And so here was their response. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness, they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and the signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. When they prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. And so I would say to us as a church, if we believe that God rules and He laughs at man's rebellion. And we believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the only begotten Son of God who is enthroned as King, who both judges and saves. That and this is the day of salvation. That we are to speak the Word of God with boldness, realizing that God is working in the world. God is working out His sovereign plans. God is using the Gospel. God is working through His Word. And He's bringing people to Himself now before it's too late. Jesus is enthroned as King. Who's your King? Is He your King? Are you surrendered to Him? I want you to watch another video clip. It's about three, four minutes long. It's from one of the most famous sermons probably of all time. It's by a a great African-American preacher by the name of S.M. Lockridge. And listen to what he has to say about Jesus being our King
3: supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a well-framed of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace, he's a roadway of righteousness, he's a highway of holiness, he's a gateway of glory, do you know him? Well, his life is matchless, his goodness is limitless, his mercy is everlasting, his love never changes, his word is enough, his grace is sufficient, his reign is righteous, and his yoke is easy, and his burden is I wish I could describe him to you, he's indescribable, he's incomprehensible, he's invincible, he's irresistible, well, you can't get him out of your mind, you see, you can't get him off of your hand. you can't outlive him, and you can't live without him, well, the Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him, Silence couldn't find any fault in him. Terror couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him. And the grave couldn't hold him. Yeah! Hey! That's my king!
0: That's my king! Is he your king? Who's your king today? Well, that brings us to the end of this psalm. That brings us to the therefore, which brings us to the response. And, and, and like I said before, and, and like God is saying here through the mouth of David, our response is either going to be rebellion or it's going to be surrender. We're going to live our life trying to build our own kingdom without the king. Or we're going to surrender to the kingship, to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not saying that makes you like a, a bad person. Or anything like that. You may be trying to build a good life. You may be trying to help people. You may be trying to build a religious kingdom. Maybe you are trying to build a secular kingdom. You don't don't believe in God. But either Jesus is your king, or ultimately, you're your own king. And so we can persist in rebellion, try to be our own God, try to build our own kingdom without the king, try to build our own life. Or we can surrender to King Jesus we can do what verses 11 and 12 say here. We can serve Him. We, we can give our allegiance to Him. When it says at the beginning of verse 12, kiss the Son, what that would refer to is often in ancient uh, times and in, in, in ancient countries that to show allegiance to a king, you would kiss him on, on the cheek or his hand or something like that. So it's saying show allegiance, show submission, show, show surrender, to Jesus Christ. And then it ends by saying, blessed are all those who trust in Him. Do you trust Him? If you really trust Him, you're going to surrender to Him. You're going to serve Him. He's going to be your Lord. He's going to be your King. You're going to put your life in His hands. You say, well, why should I trust Him? I Why should I trust this Jesus? I mean, uh, why should I trust that God's really in control of the world? It looks like the world's kind of out of control. Well, Some of the reasons uh, that that I trust him is just all the evidence for the Bible, the manuscript evidence, the historical evidence, the archaeological evidence, how it's so internally consistent, how it fits together from beginning to end, Uh, the, the existence of the nation of Israel and fulfillment of what God said about them in face of continued opposition down through the years all the hundreds of fulfilled prophecies that there are in the Bible. The historical fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And ultimately, it just seems like to me, in my experience and my experience as a pastor and working with other people, that when we do what the Bible said says, life works. And when we don't, life doesn't work. That's some of the reasons why I trust Him. Do you trust Jesus? Are you rebelling or are you surrendering? Can you say today, He's your Lord, He's your King? Are you really living like it? Maybe some of you say, yeah, I'm a Christian, I'm going to heaven, I prayed a prayer or something like that. Is that what your life says? Does your life say that Jesus is King or does your life say that you're in charge? What's the results of that? See, we can't just have Jesus as our Savior without Him being our King and our Lord and our God. The Bible says in Romans 10.9, if we, if we believe that God raised Jesus from the dead and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, that He's God, that He's the sovereign ruler, that we will be saved. Have you kissed the Son? Have you placed your trust, your allegiance in Him? Have you surrendered to Him and said, Jesus, I have messed my life up. I am a sinner. I'm guilty. I'm separated from You. I can't do this myself. I surrender to You. Take control of me. Come into my life and save me. If you haven't, He invites you to do that right now. Just to surrender to Him, to call on His name, to confess Him as your Lord and your King and your God. Maybe you're a Christian, but you're not living like Jesus is king. You're not living like he's on the throne. Today, it's time to repent and come back to him. Maybe you're just struggling with something that's going on in your life. What's going on in the world? Maybe right now is the time just to kind of plant your flag, to draw a line in the sand and say, I may not understand, it may be hard, but God, I'm going to trust you. I believe that you're sovereign. I believe that you rule. Jesus, I believe that you're the king who reigns. If you would... Just bow your heads and close your eyes with me and I just want to give you a chance to respond. And I want to encourage you, if you need to talk to somebody, to, uh, somebody to pray with you, if you're on online church, uh, to, to click the, the prayer button. If you're on one of the other platforms, to let us know in the comments or to email us at info at the true life church, uh, dot com. But if you're not a Christian right now, I invite you to respond to the gospel. I, I invite you to ask Jesus To come into your life. You can pray something like this God, I admit that I'm a sinner. Lord, I am sorry for my sins. God, I ask for your forgiveness. Lord, I ask you to cleanse me and to change me and to take control of me. Jesus, I confess you as my Lord and my God and my King. God, I ask you to change my life from the inside out. Help me to live for you. Make me who you want me to be. He said, if you're a Christian, You've wandered away from Him. Right now, repent. Ask His forgiveness. Surrender to Him again.